You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Our Lord just experienced such a wonderful thing. It's a very high moment. At his baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were all three present. The next event is a trying event. In our lives, when there's a great high moment, we always have to understand that many times the devil comes and he tries to discourage us after high moments. Elijah called down fire from heaven in 1 Kings chapter 18. And what a miracle it was. The power of God was on his life. But in chapter 19, Jezebel said, I'm gonna take your life. And he went and sat and said, God, just kill me. Just kill me. I don't even wanna live. He went from a high moment to a low moment. The greatest evangelist was Jonah. Over 600,000 people came back to God in the greatest citywide revival known to man. That was in chapter three, but in chapter four, he sat under a, 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 a gourd and he said, God, just kill me. I don't even wanna live. Moses had a high moment here and then he saw what the people of Israel did, how they rebelled against God. He said, God, just, I'm done. I'm just done. Just take my life. I don't know where you're at today. I hope you're living on the winning side. But I do know this, the devil hates you. As we look at this text this morning, I wanna see this morning Satan's tactics. Brother Bertram already prayed, I'm not gonna give you how to have victory. He already did. The word of God, it is written. And you know, even the devil began to quote the Bible. And Jesus kept coming back to the Bible. This book will keep you from sin, D.L. Moody said. Our sin will keep you from this book. And today, I want you to see with me that the Bible discusses our life. See, each of us have an enemy. My number one enemy is me, self. It's called the flesh. The flesh, the flesh is really just nothing more than my sensual desires. It's the, it literally, the word is flesh means, and when God talks about the flesh in the New Testament, our flesh, he is talking about our animal instinct, our fallen instinct. There's two wars that are going on in our life. The Bible calls it the old man and the new man, uh, the flesh and the spirit. You heard me tell it for decades, uh, the old Indian chief got saved. When he got saved, the missionary went up the river and some months later, he had left him, of course, the Bible and instruction and he came back and the missionary said, Chief, how goes it? He goes, two, two big dogs in me. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, dog one and dog two. And this is me and this is the flesh and all these things to describe those words, but a big war going on. And the missionary said, which one wins? And he said, the one I feed the most. You feed the spirit, you're gonna reap the spirit. You feed the flesh and we all have it. Our flesh is perhaps money. 
It's position. It's prestige. It's uh, success. It's sensual desires. And, and God says, that's all flesh. And I have to crucify my flesh, the Bible says. I die daily. Do you know that's no different for a pastor than for you? I, once again, I face Satan this morning. Page 373 in your soul book. Once again, I face Satan this morning. And I battled him all the day long. Well, yes, I battle Satan, but I battle self. Pride. Self-will, I'm gonna win, I'm in charge, and yet that is all contrary to what God desires in my life. You're gonna battle the flesh this week. You're gonna battle yourself this week. Every day, you're gonna have to battle self. I'm not gonna let my wife win that battle, no. Uh, she, 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 I'm not gonna let her do that thing. That's self. I'm gonna make sure that she, you sit down and shut your mouth and you listen to me, that's self. I'm not coming home. I want to stay out and play with the boys. I don't want to come home to have family. That's self. A father ought to die to self, and it's all about his mate, and it's all about his children. Dad, you have time? Yes. But too often we live for ourselves and our flesh. But then there's Satan. He's the second enemy. He's the one we see today. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober. That's not dealing with liquor. That's very serious. Be sober. Be very serious. Be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know you have weak areas in your life, and the devil knows it. He's going to attack you there. It might be fear. It might be self it might, be, it might be discouragement. It might be loneliness. And he's going to find where you're weak and he's going to fight you there. You've heard the story of when I was in high school, a freshman, and I boxed a senior. And I was in the ring and we had about 100 boys in that particular PE hour, about 2,500 young people in our high school, not very far from here. And Coach Clausen says, get in there, Retriever. You fight and the last name was DeWarty. Does that answer who's gonna win the battle right there or not? Uh, Treber, German against DeWarty, Hispanic. I'll tell you who's gonna win. And DeWarty and I were about the same height. DeWarty came out like a windmill. And I mean, he knocked me silly, knocked me down. I had a splitting headache and I hear Clausen, get up, Treber, get up. Good night, I didn't wanna get up. That guy beat me to a pulp, and I think today, nowadays, he would have not allowed it, but he let me have it, no head, get nothing. You know, when I got in the rink every time, ring every time, I never told my opponent, don't hit me on my shoulder here, I just had, I, had I, I dislocated. You don't tell your opponent where you're weak. Because the first thing your opponent's gonna do is go there. I know this may sound foolish, but I was sitting in Bible college in a, a philosophy class over 50 years ago, and the professor said, God, God can read your mind, but the devil cannot read your mind. He reads your actions. And I've never, unless it's a known sin that is known, I've never prayed out loud about a known sin. Because I don't want to give my opponent 
any ammunition for where I'm weak. I don't tell God, and let's, let's, just, let's just start at my feet. My feet are so sore, and I'm not talking about that. My feet are so sore, I don't know if I can stand. Well, guess where my opponent's gonna fight me? He can touch your flesh, the Bible says. He touched Job. I'm not gonna give him any ground. I called that professor years ago after I was pastoring this church, and I said, I don't know if this is right theology, and I explained that. I don't, and he goes, you know what? I don't remember saying that, but that's very wise. I thought that was great, a professor telling me I was wise. You know, Satan has weapons in his warfare to get you. Standing against the wiles of the devil, we just quoted. Wiles means his cunning, sneaky ways. Your good marriage that you have today, and you do. Do you know the devil wants to destroy that marriage? He used many different ways to discourage you and destroy it. Today I want you to see our Lord because he faced Satan also. The Bible said then, the then goes back to his baptism when the, in verse 16 and 17, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were there. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. There's another message that I've preached from this text years ago, but, but I wish that you'd mark that word wilderness because before God ever is going to use you, he always takes us through a wilderness experience he took Elijah through Cherith, and then he took Elijah to Zarephath, and he took Moses to the desert for 40 years. God always takes us, and if we're not careful, we don't want the wilderness experience. But the Bible says the devil, uh, and the attempted of the devil, the word devil is there. I want you to see some of the weapons in his arsenal by way of introduction. He deceives us. He deceives us. And you're gonna see that today in our text. And the word of God makes it very clear that he is a deceiver. The Bible says this in the book of Revelation chapter 12. He deceiveth the whole world. The devil is a deceiver. In Revelation 20, at the end of the Bible, he is still, the Bible says, after the thousand years are expired, he is loosed to deceive the nations one more time. He'll never give up on his deception. He'll make it look like that person would be a better mate. He makes it look like that job would be a better job. He makes it think that that house would be a better house. He makes it look like that, that, that situation is better for me. Be careful about all these things because he's out to constantly deceive you. Satan has transformed himself into an angel of light. Why? He, he can make it look so good because he's there to deceive us. The Bible says that we need to stand against the devil. And that great dragon was cast out, the old serpent, the old devil, the Bible says. And Satan, who deceiveth the whole world, he deceives us. He accuses us, Revelation 12, 10. He goes to the throne of grace and he accuses us, the brethren, before Jesus. Is that Jack Treber down there? Look what Jack's doing. I, I thought he was one of yours. You say, well, you mean he has access to heaven? Well, according to Job, he, he went from the presence of God and he came back down to deceive Job, yes. And he accuses me. I think Brother Van Dyke, how sad it must be that the devil, I've given him ground that he can accuse me before Jesus Christ who did everything for me. He is a deceiver. 
He is an accuser. The Bible speaks of him that he blinds us. He blinded the eyes, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He blinds our eyes. That looks so tempting. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. He, they, everybody calls it the apple. We don't know what it was. But it was the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And he tempted them with that. And they saw it was good. If you're not careful, you and I get tempted that something looks good, but there's a worm inside. There's something inside that's going to destroy us. I find that he tempts us, his name here. Look what he says in verse number, number three. And when the, when the tempter came to him, he is a tempter. He tempts us. He lures us. He puts something out there. I know this attracts Jack. I know that, that this, is, this is a weak area for him. And we all have them. You know, one of these days we're going to get a new pope. And what happens when you get a new pope, there's three puffs of smoke comes out of the basilica. And that means now that that pope is sinless. There's none that doeth good, no, not one, the Bible says. For all have sinned. And the pope's a sinner and the pastor's a sinner. And I have to battle sin in my own life, and so do you, and it's a battle for a lifetime journey. We're so weak. I want you to see his tactics against our Lord, and he'll use the same with you and me. Look at verse one. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus was attacked by the devil when he was weak. When you're weak, you're gonna to have to be careful. What was his weakness? He was in the wilderness. What does that mean? He's alone. What a prideful pastor. A pastor of the greatest church in all the world. How the greatest members in all the world, the people of God, the Christian school, the college, God's people are so good to us. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary and that surprise night what the deacons and the church family did for us was just over the top over the top in December just unbelievable and you know sometimes Brother Sly I feel so lonely I get up sometimes and I sleep. I just feel alone. I can't sleep. And I just feel so lonely. And I know the devil's trying to uh, hit me there. You are men of God, great preachers. And it's amazing how you can feel in the midst of all this unusual church in America, you can get lonely. Don't make decisions, major decisions when you're lonely. When I feel like I don't have a friend. I've had to bury some folks that became so lonely that they went and got a shotgun and killed themselves. And my heart aches for the decisions that they made. I think of one young man, and he said, Pastor, I'm so lonely. I said, son, hang on. Hang on and come home and see us at Christmas. And he did, and, and I talked to him, and, and I introduced him to the church, and, and I thought we were going back. And then he, he, he got a shotgun, and 
And, and he was so despondent with the decision, just a kid in his 20s, early 20s, decisions he had made, and, and he killed himself. And oh, that funeral, I'll never forget that. I'll, I'll never forget the weather that day and, and, the, and all that was there. A good kid, good family. Mother and dad must constantly years later be saying, where'd they do, go wrong? They didn't go wrong. The devil got their son. He tempted him when he was lonely. I said, I made decisions and now I'm stuck here and I'm away from my church. I'm away from my family. I want to be back at North Valley. The thing I thought I didn't want is what I need and what I want. He's so lonely. Some of you are so lonely because you think the answer in life is marriage and I'm, I'm, I'm the big proponent of marriage, but you don't get married because you're lonely. I think I'll go somewhere else because I need friends. You be careful with that. And Jesus was attacked when he was weak. He was lonely, alone. It's dangerous. I see also in that his weakness, not only was he alone, he was physically weak. Verse two, and when he had fasted, 40 days and 40 nights is after a word of hunger. I'm ashamed to say that as a pastor, I should fast 40 days. I've never fasted 40 days. I fast for a long season of time. At one time, a little half, half as much as 40 days. But you know, in that time I was in a fast, what I did without food for a long season, there are moments that God felt so close to me. I was emptying myself of myself. And there were times in a long fast where God seemed so far away. I've had some preacher friends, a better example than I, that have fasted 40 days. And they told me the same thing. At times during a fast, God's so close. And it's time, it's like, where are you, God? Why? Because we're physically weak. You know, when we say no to food and no to that which is that what we want in life, the first thing that happens for the first three or four days is you detox. And if you're on caffeine, that's a, you know, the headaches are so strong. And if you're on a lot of sugar and all that, and, and when, you, when your, your body is detoxing and you feel weak, and then you get hungry. And then you get to the point where food doesn't sell. And sometimes when they're 40 days, I've never been this way, but 40 days into a fast, your body begins to try to eat itself. Very dangerous. And it's an amazing, that's when the tempter came to him. After he had fasted 40 days, he was physically weak. I was at a doctor's office years ago, decades ago. And he said, now, pastor, you have this situation in your, with your health. He said, tell me how discouraged you are. I said, I'm not discouraged. He said, you have to be discouraged. I'll never forget what he said, because your physical body is betraying you and it affects your emotions. I don't think I quoted to him the scripture, but I thought about it. Most gladly will I glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, I don't know who you are, but I tell you what, if God's gonna use you, you will go through the school of suffering. I promise you that. And the more God's gonna use you, you will suffer. 
You say, what an unloving God. No, Paul said, when I'm weak, I become strong. Because our dependence is not upon ourselves, it's upon God. And so here's a weak person, Jesus, who was God, but he was man. He hungered, he thirsted just like you and I, and he was alone. Be careful, devil's gonna use that. And then he knows that he was physically weak. Uh, be careful, the devil's gonna use that. I, I find also that the devil used doubt. Look at chapter four, verse three. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, if, that's the key word there, if, if, are you really God? You know how the devil comes to you? How he came to me when I first got saved so many years ago. You're not really saved, are you, Jack? You know, Brother Manuel, after I got saved, I'd still lose my temper. And I would so beat myself up, so I'm probably not saved. And Brother Chicago, I'd lay in bed at night as a boy, young kid, Lord, if I didn't mean it, when I got saved, I really mean it tonight. I prayed that night after night after night. My, my doubt was not in God, my doubt was in me. But the devil, he is, he's trying to, he, <laughs> I won't tell you when, but the devil on a few occasions, it says, Trevor, you've wasted your life. You've had more that have walked away from God than those that have stayed. And I look at this great auditorium, both balconies up there, people in it, and filled down here. God's been so good, and about another, this crowd almost outside this auditorium and Sunday school rooms and both properties. You talk about a wonderful God. And sometimes I watch people go astray. And as it hurts a parent, it hurts a pastor. And I think, how, how did I fail, God? How did, I let that, how did I let that thing slip up on me? How did that person become an alcoholic? How did that person become a drug addict? How did that person take their life? How did that person, how, how, how did these things happen? The devil will tell you, you know, you get saved. Is Christianity really true? A lot of hypocrites, you know. <laughs> he uses that one all the time. Uh, the devil will create doubt. You're a phony. You're a phony. I was praying early this morning. And God said, I, I, I said, God, I, I don't want to be theatrical. I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to act like a man of God. I want to be a man of God. And the devil was just res resisting me. I I'm talking about he was weak. And then he attacks us secondly with our own foolishness. Look at verse number five, and I'm not calling our Lord foolish. Then the devil taketh them up to a holy city and setteth them upon a temple, uh, uh, the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. Now the devil quotes the Bible. It is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee. You know, it is so easy to allow in our class this morning foolish decisions to erode our life. And all of a sudden we follow headlong. Jesus could have looked at this. He just left heaven's glory. He could have looked at this and reigning right here. 
But he who was rich became poor that you and I through his poverty might be made rich. I read the account of a, a man that had pigs. And the only animal that you lead are sheep and lambs. Cattle you drive and you push them forward. God's people are called sheep so we don't push you. Hopefully we lead. And these men of God and all the teachers and everyone else does that. But you know, may I say this? This man had a, it's not called a herd, it's not called a flock. What do you call a whole bunch of pigs? What's that called? That's, they're not called a herd. I know what it's called. I've got it written right down there, but I'm not going to look right there. I'm too proud to look. It is, um, it is, um, it is called a, um, a drove. See how smart I am? I can read too. And he had this drove of pigs. But the pigs, he was out front and they kept following him. A preacher saw that yesterday or so many years ago and he watched these, these, these pigs go down the dirt road and down here. You know where that, that pig, is he a pig farmer, pig rancher? What, what's it called? I need to study a little bit more. What's he, 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 whatever he was, he was leading his, you know where he was taking them? To the slaughterhouse. And they followed and followed and followed. They just followed him right to the slaughterhouse. And after they got to the slaughterhouse, the preacher said, why did they follow you? And he showed him a burlap bag. He said, in this bag I have beans. And all that I would do, I'd throw the beans down. They like beans. You like beans? Okay, all right. I was just checking. (laughs) And he he kept throwing. He says, I throw a few down. They just kept following me. There's not a person in this room, starting from this pulpit to these pews, that have not made foolish decisions. And then we live with the consequences. And if you're not careful, you get stuck with that decision. You don't go forward because you did something real bad. I I like, I read just last week what our Lord did. They brought this woman who was taking the act of adultery and they sat her in the crowd and, and, and they said, Jesus, she's taking the very act. And he just in the dirt wrote. And they accused him more and he wrote again. And then he said this, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And when he eventually looked up, all the accusers are gone. And he said to this woman, where are thy accusers? She said, well, I perceive, she gets religious, thou art a prophet. And the Bible says that that woman went into the city and had such a vile reputation that the whole city came out to see this man called Jesus. The story for me is, let him without sin cast the first stone. Some of you people have done things I would never have done in my life. I've made decisions that you perhaps never would have done. And comparing ourselves with ourselves, the Bible says we're not wise. Some of you I pastor and I love it all, but some of you are so hard on yourself. 
You're stuck on the decision that you made a year ago or five years ago or 10 or 20 or longer and you can't get over it. One reason people don't let you get over it. I don't want to pastor a church where we constantly remind one another of our sins. And I know we have them and we all know about them somehow. But I also, and I don't want to cover sin and I don't want to be wrong there. But I tell you what, why don't we just, why don't we just take care of, oh, I'd go to my dad and complain to him about my sisters. And he said, Jack, you just mind your own business, son. Keep your own yard clean, Jack. I find that foolish decisions. And then I see thirdly, and I'm done. Verse number eight. The devil attacks us with false promises. Verse number eight. Again, the devil taking them up into exceeding high mountain and showeth all the kingdoms of the world. Said, all these things will I give thee. How can Jesus created the world? How can the devil say, you want it? Because Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you know this, he gave planet Earth to Adam. And he said, I want you to subdue it. And I want you to have dominion, animal rights people, over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. I want you to be in charge of it all. And Satan, Adam gave it to Satan. That's why the whole world lieth in the hand of the wicked one. And that's why Revelation 5, when Jesus comes back, he's going to have the, the, he's going to have the scrolls and they're going to go, who is worthy to take ownership of this earth? And Jesus, at the beginning of the tribulation, is going to come and he's going to claim control of planet earth and he's going to affect for seven years, the waters and the clouds and the earthquakes, more than he is today, he is going to move in judgment. His wrath is going to be poured out because he's going to take ownership back and get, his, and get people saved in the last days. All these things I'll give you. The devil promises you a lot of things, does he? He does. Love not the world yet, the Bible says, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father... It's not in him. You'll battle, you'll battle the world this week. You'll battle the lust of the eyes this week, the Bible says. We'll battle the lust of the flesh. I just need that. I've got to have that. And you will just as much as I will. And I will just as much as you will. He fights us. He wars against us. But look at verse 11, which is so powerful. Then the devil leaveth him. James 4, 7 says, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. He'll come back, but we have to stand against him, resist him. No, I'm not going to, uh, neither give place, the Bible says, to the devil. Don't surrender any ground. Don't give him up any opportunity. And so I need you to pray for me this week and for my wife and for our family that will stand up against the devil. And I need to pray for you that you'll stand strong in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in your schooling, in your work, and will stand strong for God because he is going to come against us. His attacks are always where we're weak. Where are you weak today? I know where I'm weak. 
And I'm not going to be ignorant of his devices. And it makes this way so beautiful. And this journey sometimes is so hard. But this hard, difficult journey is going to be, seem so easy when you compare it to this. I was in a courtroom many, many years ago for a sentencing. I was sitting right next to Amy and Heather, your dad. And the judge threw the book at that person. I'll never forget it. Brother Davis, who's with the Lord, turned to me and said, Treb, the way of the transgressor is hard. The world's way looks so easy. Adultery looks so, so easy. Bitterness, it comes so easy. Carnality comes so easy. Deceit comes so easy. Fear comes so easily. Envy comes so easy. Loneliness comes so easy. All these things are easy to enter that pathway. But you never look at the beginning. Ecclesiastes says you always look the end of the thing. And so today, he's real. He's going to fight you this week. A mother, many, many years ago, perhaps as much as 80 years ago, was by the log fire and she had taken the Bible and taught her children that night. I don't know where her husband was, but the woman was there. The children had prayer with her and she told them a Bible story and they went to bed. She came and kissed them goodnight and came back to that rocking chair by that log fire. As she was rocking there that night, she began to doze and fall asleep. She heard the pitter-patter of little feet one of the daughters came down and she heard it, but she acted as if she was still asleep. She saw the daughter in a little white gown, but the daughter didn't know Mama was awake. They had some rules in that house. When you went to bed, you didn't, I don't know if there was refrigerators, but you don't get food and other things. You just go to bed. So the little girl knew the rule, and she walked over quietly to a fruit bowl and got about five grapes. You know, that's not the end of the world, but the problem is it, she was deceiving Mama. That's why she walked quietly. And she was disobeying Mommy. And she took those five grapes. The mother watched her go back up, and her heart was broken. Over five grapes, yes. There's just five grapes. And she said, I'll have to talk to her in the morning. Mother sat there and was troubled with her daughter. Such a sweet little thing. A few minutes later, she heard the same pitter-patter of those feet coming down those steps. She walked back over to the bowl and she had those five grapes and she put them back. And Mother thought, what a wonderful little girl. She was convicted of what we could call, I guess it would be called sin. And then she said this, and a mother heard her. You can have them, Mr. Devil. I like that story. You can have them, Mr. Devil. 
Five grapes? Are you kidding me? That's what he does to me. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.